Welcome to the Chris Wallace Chronicles. All right, you don't know who that is. Okay. He lives in Australia now, but he lived in Hollywood before Australia and New York before Hollywood. You know, the actor, the songwriter. He was at ringside for the first Ali Frazier fight, Liza Minnelli's date one night. He used to smoke weed with Morgan Freeman. Likes to tell stories, like this one. Soon after I got settled in New York, I got a job as an NBC page. Tina Fey and Jack McBriar have since turned that position into a punchline, but when I got there, guest relations at NBC was the quickest way into broadcasting, right after nepotism. Pages were the face of NBC to the public. We lined people up for shows, we seated them, we answered their questions, we greeted performers, and whatever else was required. After I'd been on the page staff for a while, they decided that there should be a new category of page, the information specialist. His job would be to sit in a booth in Main Hall and interact with the public. This had been a rotating position in the past, but some were better at it than others. Apparently, I was one of the ones who was better at it, thus I became the first information specialist. On Friday, the 22nd of November, I was coming back from lunch, and just as I got to the elevators in Main Hall, one of the starters was on the intercom. Kennedy's been shot in Dallas. He might as well have been telling the score of the Packers-Giants game. He was so matter-of-fact about it. By the time I got to the locker room and started to change into my uniform, the news bulletin was broadcast. I still had time before my shift began, so I went up to the newsroom. People were scrambling around, being professional, at the same time trying to keep it together. I saw Ted across the newsroom. He'd just been hired from the page staff to be a runner. We exchanged a glance. My eyes asked the obvious question. His gave the tragic response. Kennedy was dead. It hadn't been announced officially yet. I went down to Main Hall and took a quick walk through 30 Rock towards 5th Avenue. Because everything had happened so quickly, and because it was the lunch hour, a lot of people were rushing through the building absolutely oblivious to the events in Dallas. They were completely innocent, unaffected, ignorant even. Then slowly, as the word spread, you could see everyone's pace slacken. No one seemed to be in a hurry anymore. There was no more noisy banter, no more laughter, only soft voices and the sound of heels clacking against the marble floor. I stepped outside. As I passed through the revolving doors, the first thing I heard was the toll of St. Patrick's bell. Otherwise, the silence was deafening. The only thing you heard was the gentle hum of car motors, and then again, St. Pat's bell. People were bursting into tears if they happened to make eye contact with each other as they passed. Others were like zombies. It was unimaginable, like the end of the world. I went straight home after my shift and immediately turned on the TV. That was the only way you could keep informed. It was the only contact you had with the world and what was happening. There were only three networks at that time, NBC, ABC, and CBS. All three networks were streaming live news constantly. Rumors and speculation were rampant. Every couple of minutes, there'd be a new revelation. They identified Oswald, and they caught him. He'd been to Russia. Were the Russians involved? Then it was revealed that he'd been to Cuba. Was Castro involved? The grassy knoll was speculated about. Whatever question you may have had, whatever opinion you may have wanted to express, was done for you in this nationwide town meeting of grief. 
I went to bed that night exhausted from it all, but turned it right back on as soon as I woke up the next morning. Saturday was more of the same. I didn't have to work that day, so all I did was sit in front of the TV screen while I was watching live coverage from Dallas, along with the rest of America, Jack Ruby steps out into the open and shoots Oswald live in real time. You couldn't catch your breath. Events were swirling. My girlfriend came over late in the afternoon and made me eat something, otherwise I'd have just sat there. By now, Kennedy's casket was draped with the flag and resting in the Capitol building under the Great Rotunda. People had been filing by from the moment it was put there. At first, they were local Washingtonians, but soon, people were filing by who'd been driving all night just to be there and mourn together. I wanted to be there, too. There must have been millions of people like me. Sunday was more of the same. More revelations, more news, more opinions, more speculation, more tributes, more tears. My girlfriend had to go to work Monday morning, so she went home to her apartment to sleep. I couldn't. I lit a candle and put it on top of the TV and turned out all the lights and sat there because just like the night before, I felt guilty being alive while that man who had so much to give was in a box. I couldn't justify sleeping under those circumstances. I just stared at the screen and watched the people pass by the casket. Mrs. Kennedy came out a time or two. It was sad. Then all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, it seemed, this thought came to me. I needed to write it down. By the time I found a pad and pencil, it was virtually complete. I wrote it down more like I was taking dictation. It wrote itself in the time it took me to put it on paper. When it was finished, I looked at it with a kind of wonder. I knew I'd written it, but I didn't feel authorship. It was more like it just was, as if it had always been. I know that sounds mystical or religious or otherworldly, but, but that's what it felt like. I copied it out in black ink on a sheet of plain white paper. I made three or four copies, each printed out as carefully as I could. After that, I was able to sleep and dozed off in the chair where I'd been sitting, with the candle still burning and the TV still on and the people still walking past the casket. I was supposed to go into work the next day, but called in to say I wouldn't be there until after the services at Arlington National Cemetery. My supervisor was understanding and told me to come in whenever I could. I showed up for work right after the services ended. I'd taken a copy of my poem with me. After I changed into my uniform, I went up to the small studio where Bill Ryan was anchoring all the live feeds. They broke for station identification. As soon as I saw the on-air light go off, I walked through the door, into the studio, uninvited and unannounced. It was like I was on automatic pilot. I walked up to the producer and handed him a copy of the poem. You can use this if you want to, I said. He probably didn't know what to make of me, but seeing that I was in my page uniform, he wasn't alarmed. I walked out and went down to my post in the information booth. The next morning, my phone rang at about 8 o'clock. Is this Chris Wallace? Yes. Are you a page at NBC? Yes. I'm with the press department, and we need a little background information on you. What for? Didn't you write the poem that Bill Ryan read on the air last night? Bill Ryan read it? So, I told him I did, and he asked me a bunch of personal questions like where I was from, where I went to school, stuff like that. He thanked me and was about to hang up, and I said, wait, can I get a copy of that release? He said, sure. I still have it.
In a couple of days, a letter arrived for me at Guest Relations from a woman in Washington, D.C., asking me for a copy of the poem. I thought that was really nice, so I typed out a copy and sent it to her. I asked her how she'd track me down. I got a letter back from her saying that she'd heard the anchorman say a page handed the poem to him, and she thought it was a Senate page. When she couldn't find anyone in the Senate who knew anything about it, she tried to remember what network she was watching, narrowed it down, and called the news department. They gave her my name and the address of NBC Guest Relations. Pretty soon, another letter arrived from some high school kid in Nebraska, and another from an old lady in Texas, and then another, and another, all asking for a copy of the poem. I went to the press department and told them I'd be happy to send copies out to all these people, but on my page's salary, I wasn't sure I could afford all the postage. They told me I could use their equipment to make duplicates, and if I addressed the envelopes, they'd take care of the mailing. I ended up getting literally hundreds of requests for that poem. And that was just from the people who tracked me down at NBC. One guy said he'd read it in a newspaper in Beirut. Another guy contacted me who'd seen it in Paris. It was as if my poem was NBC's official response to JFK's assassination. It got reproduced in yearbooks all over the country. Dave Powers contacted me from the Kennedy Library and asked for a copy for their archives. I had sent one of the handwritten copies to Mrs. Kennedy and received a lovely acknowledgement from one of her secretaries. It isn't often, if ever, that an average guy like me can identify with such a momentous event, however insignificant my involvement was. It's an amazing thing to have lived. But I was totally unprepared for the attention. It was the equivalent of going viral, and that was in 1963. Imagine what it would be like today. The thing is, all these people that you don't know and never will know are touched by something you've written. And all you are doing is expressing your personal feelings. Circumstances did the rest. For a long time, I thought, if that poem was the only thing I ever did, it'd be okay. But there is one thing I regret about it. I never heard my poem read. I was in the information booth when Bill Ryan read it live. It must be in the NBC News archive somewhere. I sure would like to hear it. In the meantime, I'll give it my best shot. The poem is titled, A Man Passed Our Way. A man with twinkling eye, tousled hair, and ready smile passed our way. A man with faith and compassion, and whose only hatred was directed toward injustice, passed our way. A man with learning, memory, and foresight passed our way. A man with appropriate words and ideas at appropriate times passed our way. A man with goodness and vision and friends and cheerfulness and love passed our way. And as he passed, he touched us all. And as he touched us all, he took a part of us with him, a vital part. And as he took this part of us, he left a part of himself. It, too, was a vital part. A man with courage, who took our heart, passed our way. As he is sustained in our heart, so are we sustained in his courage. I'm Chris Wallace.